And we are back to discuss some interesting piece of, uh, I, I don't know if you could call this news, but uh, it's an interesting little tidbit that popped up over the past couple of days. And uh, essentially, this... Yeah, why did it pop up now? Because isn't this interview been, isn't it a little old? Isn't it at least six months or a year old? I, it's it's at the YouTuber's discretion when he wants to, you know, make it uh, public from his Patreon to his channel. Oh, um, I see. Mm-hmm. So, uh, for those of you who don't know, uh, in a recent couple of days, uh, Elio and Linda, people who are very close to George R. R. Martin, did an interview with a Spanish YouTuber. I believe the, the YouTube channel's name is Maglor. And uh, it's in complete Spanish, I believe, for the most part, right, Preston? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I mean, the, the, the interview, the, yeah, I mean, the interview is in both Spanish and English. Mm-hmm. I mean, um, if you, if you want to listen to it, it's, uh, you, you know, you have no problem. Um, being an English speaker and and because they, they they have a translator so they they have everything their translator is just I wish they got an actual English speaking person to uh, to to go into it because that translator he it was, it was a bit rough for me at times but regardless well you, you you have to remember that I mean the translator is going to be native to one of the languages so he he's he's the Sp- a Spanish speaker is is gonna be like oh this is great because the translator is is a Sp- is spanish so like you know it had it been the other way you know the, the spanish speakers would be like oh man i wish they got a native spanish speaker right i i i, I guess but uh so so elio and linda did an interview with this uh spanish youtuber in regards to the books now normally um who the fuck cares? However, the reason this is somewhat uh, important is because Elio and Linda are very close to George. Um, for the audience who don't know, Preston, please tell them who Linda and Elio and Linda really are. Um, Elio and Linda were, were they, well, years and years ago, they started out as kind of just big fans of, of Ice and Fire. And they they'd, um, kind of started a, a, a wiki um with and keeping track of George's characters and you know George thought this was great because it helped him keep track of things and so they in many ways they became um uh, kind of just uh, organizers of, of George's thoughts um and so uh he became you know he, do, he doesn't speak with them that often um and they admit they don't they, they sometimes go years without seeing him but they they communicate you know via email and messages and things like that and um so they've they've been they've had a relationship with george for uh, i mean probably at least 15 years um and um so in fact a dance with dragons is is partially dedicated to elio and linda really i did Um, not know that yeah yeah um uh and so years later when george wanted to to um put out the world of ice and fire he asked elio and linda to kind of um uh, put together a book based on information that was already, you know, in the um, uh, the main series, and kind of put it for. And then he had notes on that would eventually become Fire and Blood, um, that he gave them to 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 summarize for it. And so they did that. They they um, organized everything in kind of an encyclopedia format um, with you know the Targaryen dynasty being one section, the, the areas of Westeros being another, and then the kind of the Essos being the, the next section. And then George got it and he added a bunch of stuff and, 
And that's what we kind of know as the World of Ice and Fire. The um, incomplete encyclopedia, because there's a lot of information from there missing. I, I feel as though that book was released a little, not a little too, very early. Yeah. Um, I would have liked it to have been released after the fact. Yeah, and Elio and Linda also run Westeros.org, which is a, a, bullet, uh, a posting bulletin board site. Um, they, they, they manage the wiki. Um, uh, and I'm trying to think... Uh, they have. They also keep a database of things that George has said at um, cons or exchanges with fans called mm-hmm. So Spake Martin, where it's kind of like off-the-cuff things that he's said that they just kind of think are canon, even though it's never appeared in a book. So, for instance, um, Ashara Dane, you know, in the book she simply has committed suicide off of a tower, but at a con... Somebody asked, uh, did they ever find a body? And George said no. And so the fact that Ashara Dane's body has never been found and the fact that she might be alive has kind of infected the fandom. And mm-hmm. you know, But it's actually not in the series at all that Ashara Dane's body was never found. It's just something George said at a, at a con. So, Well, uh, first and foremost, I want to give two disclaimers regarding these people. The first being that they are not giving us definitive, concrete answers or anything in this interview. A lot of what is said by these two are their opinions on where the story Mm. is headed, how it'll be handled, and what's going on with the characters. Some of the stuff they do say sounds like they know it for a fact, and I will highlight those. But overall, take what they say as speculation and theorizing. Now, if you're wondering why their opinions and theories would be worth making a video on, once again, as Preston said, they're the closest people to George outside of George's assistants and protégés. Elio and Linda, they're they're not just some random YouTuber with random theories. If if anything, you know, they're yeah. closely associated with George enough to where if they say something, I would be more willing to pay attention to them than some, you know random youtuber though they do have their own random theories like it's not mm-hmm. not to, not to be not to say that you know they are some sort of definitive source and they'll never they'll never say that either right, like, right they're right, specu- right. they're speculating as well they've seen notes there are notes they're allowed to talk about and there's notes that they're not allowed to talk about and they do they're pretty good at not talking about things that they're not supposed to talk about um, with, well, you know, that that's my point here. Like, if, if they're yeah. commenting on a specific plot point or character, then it's it's like you know it's safe to say that they either know something or have seen something to make them theorize in that specific direction. So, you know, either from unreleased material or George himself. So, once again, mm-hmm. I have to point out that anything they say is not official, and everything here is their speculation and theorizing. That's the first uh, disclaimer. The second disclaimer is that um, Elio and Linda, mostly Linda, Elio, you, from what you and a lot of people have said, is a nice guy. Linda is somewhat controversial in the community for uh, her bad takes. I personally dislike her for ruining the end of season five for no reason other than she's an asshole. But um, <laughs> I, I don't know if this you want was, to discuss this topic. Um, so, uh, I mean, I think Linda, Linda has, has, has a temper. And I don't think she she's that good on on Twitter and things like that. But there there was an incident that after what season five was it the the burning of Shireen happened right, mm-hmm. and then in the inside the episode, um, D and D said that George told them that the burning of Shireen was was a, was a thing that this is coming from George, and I think Linda got angry about um, them spoiling the books by saying that. Uh, Shireen was going to be burned in the books. 
Uh, and then I think she spoiled something. And and, and she spoiled uh, Brienne killing Stannis in the show. Uh, we don't know if this is yeah. going to happen in the books, but um, yeah. it was very clear in season five that the show was diverging from from the books. And you know, everything we did see in season five and onwards was essentially spoiler. Um, so you know, fuck her for that. Um, <laughs> all, all that being said, um, let's get into the interview. Now, I'm taking the summary here from. Uh, someone on Reddit, uh, I do want to give this person some credit. Uh, shout out to ambitious underscore ad 94 um, for summarizing most of it. Uh, so basically the intro here is... Not, uh, but not ambitious underscore 94 12, who's just an asshole. Yeah, fuck that guy. <laughs> um, the intro here... <laughs> the intro here uh, is basically giving us uh, essentially, uh, you know, what you said that they do. Uh, Elio and Linda's task is to organize and, you know, structure all of the available info of the uh, Song of Ice and File world. Um, that's why they are, you know, the two people who know mostly everything there is to know. Uh, they work yeah. with George R. R. Martin and they helped him create a database, the world of Ice and Fire. They also give uh, uh, instructions here to illustrators on what the character should look like. Um, at one point in the podcast, that, that's actually, yeah, that's one of the things that was kind of interesting is that they revealed that, um, cause it, they, Eli, Eli and Linda actually admitted that, that they, they would write stuff and on the stuff they, they wrote, they were given very little leeway on creating their own thing. Um, this was all kind of like George's world mm -hmm. and, um, you know, George kind of took control of, of what exactly could be printed they said they were given some leeway on the free cities in the world of ice and fire but for the most part you know you're you're reading you're reading george's stuff and th there was even something that i thought was really peculiar that was in the world of ice and fire um it was specifically about the winged knight uh in the veil and the history of the winged knight in the books is specifically one thing and in the world of ice and fire it's something else and you know i said huh is and i i emailed Elio, and i was like is this is this something that you came up with because in the books it says something this and Elio said no it's just some sort of strange retcon that that george put in i had nothing to do with it and i was like okay really interesting you know like okay um and he he repeated like so little of what what uh, what of us is in that book. It's most, it's almost all George. Um, but they did admit that there's some stuff in the free cities that they, that they got to creatively write. But, um, but they did say that for, uh, they are given a lot of creative freedom for telling artists what stuff looks like that George trusts their opinion on like the accuracy of what, um, a dragon might look like or what a, a certain character's hair color or eyes would look like and mm -hmm. stuff because he, he trusts that they would know, you know, and, and he's forgotten. <laughs> you know? Poor George. Um, at one point, uh, the interview goes into the, uh, blood moon, the game of Thrones pre the original game of Thrones prequel that would have focused mm. on the long night and the white walkers. Um, basically, uh, Elio Linda, they said they don't know why it was canceled, but they suppose it was because of Game of Thrones Season 8, Episode 3, The Long Night, where, yeah. My, my idea as to why is a combination of two things as to why it was canceled. The first thing is that after Episode 3 of Season 8 and how everything turned out, I think the interest, uh, in the White Walkers from the community and the viewers and the fandom, uh, mm. waned a lot, and people didn't care as much. 
Um, I think that's the fault of the showrunners for the way they wrote how that battle and how the walkers turned out. Um, and I also think it's a mix of what Dragon Demands said, how HBO wanted to do something a bit racial, where the Children of the Forest were originally uh, people mm. uh, uh, that had darker skin tones, and towards the end of the series, they would somehow be cursed to look like the Children of the Forest we see in the show later on. Uh, Curse of Ham type of stuff. So I think it's a mix of both of those things, personally mm, speaking. Mm. But... Um, in that regard, uh, it also goes into what their job for the show was. Apparently, they, they were consultants for the show. I, I don't know if it was for Game of Thrones or Blood Moon or both. Well, they said they said it was very brief. They said they were brought in for a couple days uh, to talk um, actually mainly about the introduction, like opening sequence. Mm. Um, uh, so they, they this is something that was really interesting in the interview is that they – Blood Moon was going to open up with a map sequence that was much like the beginning beginning of Game of Thrones. So, like Game of Thrones opens with the stone table, uh, the the stone table from Dragonstone, essentially, um, and you're you're kind of going around the map looking at everything, uh, and that there would be a similar table carved from Werewood, and they'd be going around the north, uh, looking at the different houses in the north, and they ju- and they they brought him in to talk about you know where the different what were the ma- who were the major houses at the time you know for, for example there'd be no manderley in the north at the time but there would be a um uh, a, a blackwood in the north you know that kind of stuff mm-hmm. so so that you know they they essentially were brought in to talk about the different houses and the different areas and, and the sigils and who would who would be in power uh during the period of time uh, on, on blood moon because there was going to be this werewood table opening um to the show that sounded pretty cool. Uh, I hope, I kind of wish we could have seen some of that. But like I said, I, I, I have not bought a Game of Thrones Blu-ray DVD since the end of Season 5. Season 5 is the mm. last Blu-ray I have. I would have bought the entirety of uh, the, the complete series if we got one episode from Blood Moon. Oh, by the way, Elio revealed in that interview that he stopped watching Game of Thrones after season five. I know, it's in here as well. Yeah, I find, <laughs> I find that fucking hilarious. Um, they also talk about briefly the Nymeria spinoff, the travel of Nymeria mm. and the Ronar after the this, uh, the escape of the, the Roin, blah, 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 and the Dornish conquest, family struggles. Um, I don't understand why this is here. Like, I feel like this is like common common uh, knowledge. Was there any... Yeah, they, they, they discussed... Um... Uh, they just uh, I think there were some discussions very briefly because they they were not involved yet with the with the one that's in production now but there were some discussions about that they'd heard or, or about um, uh, how they thought it was going to be a traveling show that that 10,000 ships was going to be you know Numeria goes goes to this culture and then goes to this culture and over and over again and that way you could get all sorts of different it would be a you know a sinbad like show um of, of the different adventures uh perhaps like Battlestar Galactica where you have like these 10,000 ships you know you have this huge society going along but that that would be it would be a show where you could where you could explore Southeros and the Summer Islands or or whatever and and explore different cultures and and you could um you could also like cast a very diverse uh a, a, you know group of people uh to be in the show but then they then they heard that actually it was going to be more about them already being in Dorne um, after the arrival, and that it'd be more about like the political thing there because you wouldn't want two traveling shows to be on at the same time. 
Like if you're going to have the Car- Corlise Velaryon show, which is a traveling show, would you really want 10,000 ships being a traveling show at the same time? I mean, look, we've said this before and I'll say it again. And I feel like it needs to be honed in. Um, they're taking a huge gamble with these quote unquote traveling shows with Corlise. Because like, yeah. for the most part, I would argue that more than 85 80% of the audience are not like diehard book fans. Um, you know, yeah. they're not on YouTube looking up Preston Jacobs videos. They're not like, you know, they don't know anything about the Dornish Master Plan. They they don't really care about a shy. These are people yeah. who, when they think of Game of Thrones, they think of Starks, Lannisters, dragons, ice zombies. Why the fuck would more than half of the viewer base care about Dorn when they didn't like Dorn to begin with? Um, the right. showrunners fucked Which it kind up. of actually made Blood Moon a fairly good idea because you're still dealing with the North. You're still dealing with Starks, right. the main characters. You're still dealing with white walkers and things like that. Like you still have familiar elements, you know, I would love, I would but, pay so much money to see that one episode and why the fuck <laughs> he decided to scrap. What was it? 10, 30 million bucks for that episode. Yeah. Yeah. But also because you're a huge fan of Naomi Watts. I know. Uh, sure. Why not? Uh, <laughs> we also have some detail on fire and blood part two. Or Blood and Fire, whatever the fuck it's going to be called. Uh, according mm. to Elio and Linda, uh, it'll end with Robert's Rebellion. Of course, we all knew that. But it won't be written till A Song of Ice and Fire is complete. So in short, it'll never come out. Right, but keep in mind that this this interview took took place long before... Um, oh, that's right. Uh, the, 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 the blood, the George's blog post mm. where he's kind of changed anything. In fact, in this interview, there's a lot of speculation about whether or not a Duncan Egg show would happen. And now we know that the Duncan Egg show is happening and that George has, you know, his uh, all of his hopes on it. So there's a lot of there's some speculation about future shows, but we actually know much more about the shows now because it's been so much time. Good point. Uh, it also says yeah. here that uh, Egg on the Fourth will be the longest part. I believe that's the start of the Blackfire Rebellions. Yeah, no, that was that was an interesting little bit actually. Um so, so he was talking. Uh, Elio was talking about how you know you could clear, you could easily have like um, based on the the amount of time that's passed and the the number of kings, you could conceivably have a Fire and Blood Part Two and a Fire and Blood Part Three. Um, right. That you know, if you if you're talking about the number of kings and the amount of time passing, like why not? Like because this is this is the idea that um, you know Fire and Blood Part One only makes it to a hundred and 30 years and the main story is in 300 so the second half would be 170 years you know um and he has more as time goes on he has more details about what's going on the further back you go the fewer details there are and then the details get thicker and thicker as you go on so you could you know you could imagine that yeah 170 years let's say that the second book is another um, hundred years, then that last 70 is going to be, you know, a lot of stuff. Um, but, um, but Elio also said that that's not really a great way to look at things because George writes time periods inconsistently. Like if you look at fire and blood, he's like, Aegon the Conqueror has very little written about him considering how long he ruled. Um, you know, and, and so, you know, the, and the Dance of the Dragons gets a huge amount of, of space over a very brief amount of time. You know, so he, he says, you know, it, it just all depends. It all depends on what George feels, feels like writing. And he's correct. But, he, but I did not know because I would have not expected this. Um, but he says he has a huge, he said that 
he's got a very thick file uh, on Aegon the Fourth, Aegon the Unworthy. Now you'd think that, you know, he might have a huge file on Aegon the Fifth. You know, Aegon the Unlucky, or Aegon the um, uh, Egg. I mean, uh, Aegon the Unlikely, uh, because of Duncan Egg and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But no, it's a whole bunch of stuff on Aegon the Fourth. Um, which is, that's a, that's a fascinating thing. I mean, I could probably do an entire video on my thoughts on, on why Aegon IV uh, is such an important king, but um, I think it mainly has to do with, like, what he was trying to do with, 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 um, with uh, um, uh, marrying different women and, and genetics and things like that. Mm-hmm. And, um, but, uh, um, yeah, Bracken and, and, Blackwood and things like that, but um, but yeah, I mean, it just dep- you know depends on what kings he cares about, which ones he doesn't, you know, um, you know, like how much is how much would you write on Jaharis the uh, second? I don't know, <laughs> you know, like I don't know. So continue on with the interview. They uh, Ilio Lindo, they do not care about House of the Dragon, and the show has a lot of uh, space to make things up. Uh, they discuss that. So so yeah, and when they say they don't care about. Um, House of the Dragon. What they mean is uh, their their perspective was: look, um, the characters in Fire and Blood are not fleshed out at all, and they have no emotional attachment to them like they do to the main series. Right. Uh, you know, this is this is written from a historical perspective, and so it's not like you know they, if somebody changes the personality of of um, Aemond one eye Targaryen uh, that anyone would notice because you hardly know anything about this person's uh, personality. While like changing the personality of say Euron is a big deal to them. So like that's, you know, Ilya and Linda are very emotionally invested in ice and fire. And so when certain changes are, are made, you know, they, 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 uh, they get, you know, they have big opinions on them. But big, big opinions really, as an understatement. Isn't Linda yeah. uh, called like I would uh, say, racist because I would, of... Linda's, I would say Linda's more emotional than 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 Elio, yeah. Um but yeah, yeah, they they're they're very they're very uh they're very attached. And so, you know, um and so but they said they are not that attached to fire and blood, you know, that whatever. I'm glad you changes could be made. I'm glad you mentioned Euron. Um, they say that, uh, and remember, this is not definitive speculation. But yeah. once again, they're close to George, so I wouldn't, you know, sleep on this. Uh, Euron, they say that Euron is a liar. It, that it is possible that he never went to Valyria, but near Valyria, and that he could even have uh, gotten the horn and the armor from some other place near the peninsula. So one of the one of the things that when watching it, I I was like, okay, Elia and Linda are. are are they're on the mark here is that they stressed at many many points in the interview that George writes ambiguously and that he you know when it and he, they mentioned this with the histories that the histories they mentioned that you know this is from the the the, the mouth of a maester and we're not really sure how things happened and then they talk about um you know unreliable narrators in in, in ice and fire and so like a lot of people read the, the the Forsaken chapter, and I remember this when it was first read. People being like, "Oh my gosh, Euron's been to 
Valyria confirmed. Um, and it's like, no, Aaron thinks Euron went to Valyria. <laughs> that, uh, that's, that's very different from Euron went to Valyria confirmed. Um, and so I'm happy that Elio and Linda did recognize, you know, author bias and, and, and POV bias and things like this and people being deluded. Um, and they stress this a lot during the interview. Uh, that that things are ambiguous, but then they also mention that George changed his mind. You know, like they think that that probably that maybe George now wants Euron to be a different character. Who knows? So they kind of left it open. They were a little they were a little noncommittal on it, but they personally don't think that Euron's been to Valyria. But at the same time, they 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 said, but maybe George, maybe George has changed his mind and and Euron has been to Valyria. But they were shocked by that line as well. Well, George changing his mind on how characters are supposed to be. I mean, we've seen it before. Mm -hmm. Uh, The actress who played Osha in Game of Thrones, he liked her performance so much. He's kind of, he said he kind of wants to write the character going forward kind of like her. Oh, absolutely. So, um, I I definitely also think, I mean, I think that Tyrion himself, um, if you look at Tyrion in A Dance with Dragons, he's much more like book Tyrion than... Tyrion through, you know, in a Game of Thrones, a Clash of Kings or, or a Storm of Swords, you know, like he's, he's cracking jokes and things like that. Um, but yeah, so I, I, he is influenced, you know, he, and he changes his mind and he, and he shifts things around, you know, so. Um, on the topic of Valyria, they feel as though, uh, Valyria is like a magic, uh, Chernobyl and that when Arya mm-hmm. flew to Valyria, she was exposed to the magic of the doom. Um, so for those of you who don't recall, Arya is the daughter of, um, uh, why am I, uh, Dreamfire Dream Reina. Dreamfire Reina right. and Aegon the Uncrowned. Right, yeah. uh, or as you call him, Aegon 1.5? Aegon 1.5, yeah. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> uh, if you recall, a- Arya, she got on uh, Balerion's back, and Blair- she wasn't able to control him, and so Balerion flew supposedly back home and came back with some scars all over his body, and Arya was infected with the fireworms. Um, good part of the book. I liked it a lot. Uh, but apparently they refer to Valyria as a, a magic Chernobyl type of uh, situation. So, so this is, this is kind of an interesting, um, thing. So one of the things that they also mentioned was, uh, Elio brought up a thousand worlds quite a bit. Oh, actually. really? There you um, go. <laughs> yeah. Here and there, I wouldn't say quite a bit, but he brought it up. He brought up the thousand worlds a few times. Um, and he did mention that, uh, in the thousand worlds, specifically in tough voyaging that, you know, genetic, genetic engineering is a thing. Um, and so they, Elio and Linda kind of believe that through the use of both magic and technology that they genetically, that the Valyrians genetically engineered themselves to be dragon riders. Mm. And Linda, Linda specifically thinks that literally they have dragon blood in them, meaning literally they have dragon DNA spice spliced into their code. Um, now, I personally don't think magic is part of it, but I do think that, yeah, I uh, there's probably some sort of genetic engineering that that created dragons. I don't know like which came first, um, the the the, cha- the splicing of their DNA or whatever, or the or the dragons but you know i i'm i'm on the bo- i'm on board with the fact that the valerians were were um genetic engineering people 
and that and that but i think they did it with technology like they they literally believe they did it with magic like using magic to splice dna but it was interesting to hear them talk about it like that because i think i think over time they they have started reading the thousand worlds um in fact elio said that he knows the thousand worlds really well and that if if they ever wanted to publish a guide to the thousand worlds that you know he could do it which is funny that he used that term guide to the thousand worlds because that's the name of my ah, video on the thousand go. worlds you know <laughs> <laughs> so um but nonetheless you know i think anyone that's read the thousand worlds like it kind of changes the way that you think about ice and fire and elio's read at thousand worlds so his, his brain he's he's been his eyes he's 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 been red pilled or whatever, uh, <laughs> and um, also there's a lot of Thousand World references in the World of Ice and Fire. So I think they did, you know, get familiar with the stories. Um, and it's it's hard not to read George's other stories and think about genetic engineering because he wrote about it so much. So it's not surprising that they would come to the conclusion that uh, um, that that sort of thing is going on in Valyria. But um, it's interesting that they use like magic Chernobyl, you know, like like that it's actually radioactive, you know, or that area might be dying of radiation poisoning. Mm, Post-apocalyptic, huh? Hmm. Yeah, though I think they, they, I think they specifically said they thought that her that she was transforming into a dragon mm. because they thought there was a DNA that 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 when they say Targaryens have the blood of dragons, they that that that's literal. Um. And so by having too much dragon DNA spliced in that they uh, that that somehow it should be transforming into a dragon. Now, this is also like you got to start because I, I think another thing that might set them down that road is, for instance, when Rego was born, Miri Mazdor tells her that that, oh, the baby like had dragon wings and stuff like that. And and there's another reference to dragon wings on babies, I think, from uh, in in. Um, fire and blood with one of Rhaenyra's uh, stillborns. Um, at the same time, like they just, which which I think is funny that they don't believe that Euron went to Valyria because they understand that people can be liars, but then they buy that that Rago has that looked like a little dead dragon. You know, like you don't think Mary door might have been lying. You know, <laughs> like oh well. <laughs> There's uh, quite a bit here about Duncan Egg, which you made a good good point about a couple minutes ago, where this interview happened before that George update, where he all but confirmed that he was writing more Duncan Egg and wanted to uh, yeah. go into more detail. Uh, but according to this, George R. R. Martin will write more stories. There will be uh, from 9 to 11 short stories, but he has notes about what will happen in each tale, and Summer Hole will be the last story. Yeah, well, Elio had said that he thinks that... He says that... that there was an incident where George had a tell where he, they were at some con and somebody asked him about um, how many Duncan egg stories would there be? And he said that George makes up a number that changes every time, you know, sometimes he's like 12 and sometimes he's like eight and it's like whatever. Um, and, you know, he says, Oh, but we'll have a bunch of different, different stuff where, you know, one where he's like Lord commander of the Kingsguard or one where he's like master of arms at the red keep and then Elio kind of blurted out, and the last one would be Summerhall. And George kind of looked at him and smiled. And so he's like, ah. So like he that that's kind of like why but it's also like, come on, like 
we know that Dunkin' Egg die at Summerhall, so of course it's going to be the last story. <laughs> No. Well, in regards to uh, the series, that. the Dunkin' Egg series, uh, they don't need George's help. The plot is already planned. That's a, either a good thing or a bad thing, because um, that story still has a, a ways to go before we get to Summerhole. Yeah, I mean, I know that, look, George's, sto- George, George's notes for the, the She-Wolves of Winterfell uh, are pretty detailed. Um, and so... We know we at least have like four store four seasons of story. Um, I don't know if George has figured out what Dunk does after that, but we kind of know that just from the World of Ice and Fire, a lot of a lot of She Wolves Winterfell information is kind of published in that in that a family tree and stuff like that. But um, so you know he he's got the he's got all that down, but but who knows after that. They said that with Dunkin' Egg, and this was an interesting idea, is they said, you know, George, they said that George felt bad about Game of Thrones going ahead of what he'd written. But they said that doesn't mean George necessarily means that he he feels bad about things going ahead of his novel prose. That that I think if they he they said that if he were involved in say script writing, and he were writing scripts on Dunkin' Egg, then he would feel it was his writing and he'd be fine with it. It was the fact that like the Game of Thrones show was ahead of like what he had come up with himself and written himself. But it, writing himself doesn't necessarily have to be in the form of prose in a novel. Which I could also see, like George being like, "Oh, because because they, they said that he could write a script in like a month, you know, and 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 then he'd feel he'd feel better about the show being where he wanted it to be, but you know, it wouldn't necessarily be a short story that would be published, you know. But it, it, I couldn't he just nah, that'd be dumb. I was gonna say, couldn't he just <laughs> couldn't he just. Uh... Uh, write Dunkin' Egg stories as he went along writing the scripts, but nah, nah, that's that's. I would rather have the yeah, stories yeah. first before the show. Um, but to top off yeah, the uh, Summerhall tragedy thing, because that's a mm. huge point in the community. Everybody has theories about what happened, um, and everybody is just itching to find out what happened. Uh, according to this, uh, Egg tried to bring dragons back using a magic ritual, and a dragon, quote unquote, was born. But it was not the dragon that Egg wanted. That's what they said. They said that their theory, and or you know, and this is a lot of out of like um, Linda's mouth. Like sometimes, a lot of times, Linda says like a, a, a theory, and she says, "Oh, we believe," and then Elio kind of nods. But um, so Linda said that we believe that Egg kind of tried to summon a dragon and was successful, but something went wrong. It was not what they expected, and all the fire was everywhere and and, and killed everybody. Um, uh, which I'm trying to think like if that's what I would expect, like, uh, at Summerhall, because I think most people just assume at Summerhall, it's just a bunch of wildfire. Um, but the, uh, the idea that maybe they were actually successful in hatching a dragon like Daenerys is, um, but then what would this hatchling do or why would the dragon be something different and why would it go crazy? Um, but uh, I don't know. Um, 
actually summoning a dragon, having the dragon like kill everybody is is a, a bit more fantastical than than uh, I kind of picture Game of Thrones, um, Ice and Fire doing. I don't know. Well, like I was, just, I was assumed it was just a big wildfire. Yeah, right. Fire. That's that's what it, it kind of like yeah. uh, seemed like. But you know, people in the fandom they. They always want to speculate on something even more grandiose. Uh, we recently did the uh, the uh, the quiz with Glytus, and uh, some of yeah. those theories just Jesus Christ. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so this I want to touch on more on later because there's uh, actually someone in the thread went into you know did the whole transcript um, for the Winds of Winter. They would love to read the Daenerys Fire and Blood Path. Um, I don't know if this is the the uh the person's error uh but it will be described as triumphant and danny will be also be turning dark they also want to know about the dornish plot too yeah they specifically said that um that they specifically talked about the show and how the you know that they think a lot of the events of the show will be happening but they'll make sense is what they'll say so they're like yes danny's gonna go dark but it's gonna make sense it's not just gonna happen like you know overnight um and so they believe that they believe which which um there was an interview there was a, a question for george at a con about that they're like oh is is danny really gonna like embrace her dark side fire and blood and george is like well you know we're definitely gonna be seeing seeing her be a little darker as time goes on and so everybody's just like ha ah, confirmed danny's danny's going evil you know she, she's um that happened at a con years ago but uh I don't know. So, but yeah, Linda kind of made fun of the show and said, you know, it's not going to be some ringing of the bells that cause Haver. I, I have the uh, the whole thing here, and this is also in regards to King Bran. Um, what mm. where they said he will be king, but he will not leave the cave, and it will make sense. Um, so let me just read the whole thing here. Yeah, I definitely disagree with that. But yeah. <laughs> yeah. So the host said. Um, I'd like to know, since you know George better than anyone and his way of working, what would you say to the part of the fandom who is afraid that the book's ending will be as disappointing as the show's ending? To which Linda chimes in, uh, the way the show was made was due to the constraints of television. The decision to make only eight seasons, um, I mean, uh, HBO and George stated that it would be more, although George said they took a different path in some things and George will be faithful to what he intended. Danny's dark turn will be there, but it will make more sense. She won't just flip mm -hmm. at the sound of some bells. She's not a cyborg who was yeah. programmed to go crazy when it hears a sound to massacre people. It's going to make more sense. Initially, we were saying that Bran on the Iron Throne would be the ending, and a version of that is correct. But again, there are always to be fair. To be fair to the show, it was not just the bells. I mean, <laughs> like yes, Dan Danny's turn happened fast, but there was the feeling isolated at 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 uh, Winterfell, um, losing Jorah, feeling feeling that uh, John was going to usurp her her position, losing Missandei, you know, it, Maris it, there was like, losing her. her dragon. I mean, there was a lot of stuff. Mm -hmm. It it happened way too fast, but there was a lot of stuff. Like had had that happened over the course of two seasons, we'd probably be like, oh yeah, it makes sense. But like the fact that it happened over the course of two episodes is what what got people. Upset. Well, this here uh, well, is what you would want to dispute. Uh, there are always ways where it could be Bran without it being Bran. This is Linda conti yeah. continuing on with Linda as, as she's saying. As you know, the bodies, you know, I think Bran's body will stay where it is. 
Uh, it seems like it's hard to make it move again, to be honest. I don't know what she means by that. But it will make, but it will all make sense. The characters, their choices will make sense. How they develop until a satisfactory conclusion of their arcs. This is what George is struggling with. He knows very well it will take time. He knows very well that it has to take a certain amount of pages for you to get on board with these changes. So no one who reads the books finds it strange or out of character in any way that Jamie has a point of view or gets partially redeemed. So why there is a turn, that turn in, in Daenerys, for example, can George do it well? Yes, he can. We know he can, but it's complicated on a character level and a plot level. And making it quickly wasn't the best choice. Yeah, that, that was really weird, because if you think of, I mean, what, what they were suggesting is that Bran would sit the throne, but he would be doing it in somebody else's body. As if, as if either he's doing the murderous thievery uh, in, in a situation of... of Hodor, you know, which is which is creepy and disgusting, you know, he's you know, that he's taking over somebody's body, or he's going to be like animating a dead body, like animating a corpse of John or something, you know. But both of them are super creepy. Um, but I just, how could anyone come to the end of Game of Thrones and be like, oh, Bran is taking over somebody's body, and the other person is going to live in the sub their own subconscious, screaming, <laughs> unable to control themselves, like like being John Malkovich, and and you know, it, and and Bran, and we're we're just going to be like okay with Bran on the on the throne. That'd be the creepiest, saddest, like ending. But we also know that hold the door is happening, yeah. right? Like, so. Hold the door's happening. Bran's escaping. We've got that, you know, it's, it's, I don't know. It seems pretty certain to me that Bran is, Bran is leaving that cave. I mean, that's, that's what they said here. So, um, I know I don't buy that. <laughs> the other thing here that I thought was super interesting is that, uh, George R. R. Martin, they ask, uh, I guess what's going on with George. Why is it taking so long? And, uh, apparently he's always trying to correct his books, uh, you know, rewriting parentheses making his characters be in correct place at the correct time is what he is struggling with the most and from what she just said it sounds like that's the main thing that george is trying to do he's trying to make sure that everything lines up perfectly because you know Mirny's not and all that it's uh yeah um yeah there there's an old saying um uh i wrote you a five-page letter if i had more time it would have been one you know, or, or, but, um, yeah, that, that actually like, like that. good, concise, right. <clears throat> good, concise writing is, is much harder than, than, um, lengthy writing. And so they, they more or less set, think that the problem is, is that George is trying to take what he has and make it short enough so that he can fit everything in two books. Um, I think that's impossible. But, yeah. Uh, that's starting to sound but, impossible. Yeah, I mean, it, he did it before. If everything went back to the economy of Game of Thrones, and a Game of Thrones, you know, is very efficient, and a lot of stuff happens, um, if he went back to that writing style, you know, maybe, but he's not going to go back to that writing style. We, we, we've already seen the sample chapters from The Winds of Winter. They're completely not in that writing style. Um, you know, it would be very jarring. If he suddenly went back to that. Can you give an examples of like from a Game of Thrones to the sample chapters? Well, um, let me think. So 
let's see. In, in a Game of Thrones, you have um, it's it the the entire story takes is like a, a year and a quarter. Mm. Okay. You know, and you know, and certain chapters take place over the course of you know there there's sometimes months bef- between chapters, and um, you know you have large movements of armies and sometimes battles off screen that we don't see. Um, for instance, the Battle of the Whispering Wood. Uh, you know, major battles that that happen kind of off or the off screen, and when they are on screen, for instance, uh, Tyrion's Tyrion's battle at the Green Fork, um, they're not that detailed about you know the the slaughter and the smell of the air and the blood and and a, and a, and a head rolling here or whatever. Um, it's 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 faster, it's briefer. There's not as much description. Uh, when you get to say the Battle of Fire, and you and you and you, you know, have these chapters from Victorian and, and and Tyrion and Barristan, it's a completely different writing style. You're in the moment. You're you're smelling and tasting everything. I mean, it's 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 more like the Blackwater. You know, the Blackwater is a pretty detailed battle in, in it being written, and so. All of them are kind of getting that way, if you know, um, if not even even more detailed than than Bla- the Blackwater. But battles in a Game of Thrones and um, are not like that. Plus, like in a Game of Thrones, people march across the continent, but we don't hear them marching across the continent. Like Catelyn takes a ship from Winterfell to King's Landing, um, and then and then tr- travels back up to the. The um, in at the crossroads, and then travels to the Vale, and we get very little description of what her ship journey was like, um, what the roads are like between between uh, King's Landing and, and the end of the crossroads. Like um, it, even even the 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 walk on the mountains of the moon. Like there's a little more, but not much actually. Um, like, and then she travels from from there to Moat Kalen. You know, like pretty quickly, and then um, down to to River Run, and like you don't hear about each and every stop like you do with, say, Tyrion traveling oh, to see Daenerys. I know that's you know, or or Ariana traveling to see Jon Con. Like th- these are very detailed travel logs, you know, and you just you don't get that in Game of Thrones. There's not the travel logs. The battles are not these detailed blood fests. They just kind of happen. Um, and so he would, George would have to go back to that efficiency and he's not, but it would be so jarring to go back to that efficiency. Cause it was, it was, a, it was kind of a, a slow transition out of that. But well, on one know. hand, I, I kind of like the, uh, how he does it now because it kind of oh, world do. builds, but at the same time for efficiency's sake, like, you know, you can't keep doing it. I, I agree with you. You can't keep doing it and expect to just finish it in two books. Yeah, no, you're right. I do like his later writing style. I, I think I think A Storm of Swords, A Feast for Crows, and A Dance of Dragons, I enjoy reading those books more than A Game of Thrones and A Clash of Kings. But um, but yeah, but I admit that it's also not efficient at all. Um, more about what you said. Uh, dragon taming. Valyrians literally have dragon blood. Mm. The Valyrian uh, wyverns and fire, fireworms were used to create the dragons. This explains the dragon half-breeds. Uh, Arya was turning into a half-dragon because of the magic of Valyria. And uh, 
Valyrians have lit literally have dragon genes, which explains demi-dragon children of Daenerys, Rhaenyra, and they created the dragons using blood magic. Yeah, I don't buy any of that. I mean, like <laughs> I said, we talked about this before. I don't believe that, like, <clears throat> I don't believe they have dragon, like, genes mm. spliced into them. I, I believe that they're, that they are perhaps genetically engineered uh, animals that are, that are going to obey, you know, uh, telepathic, telepathically gifted individuals. But I don't think... Um, well, it says right here, uh, we will think, know why uh, some Valyrians contain dragons and some cannot. Right. Well, they just they have the gene, you know. I mean, they mentioned that 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 it's all genetic. I mean, you know, I I think most people understand that dragon riding is genetic, but we kind of know that that warging, skin changing is genetic as well. I don't think I personally don't think there's any fundamental difference between the two, but you know, whatevs. And uh, <laughs> telepathy is telepathy is telepathy. This one piece of interesting information to end off the whole thing is the Mummer's dragon. Elio and Linda think that fake Aegon, also known as Phaegon, is Illyrio's son. Tyrion's clothes and the sword yeah. removed from the sculpture are clues that support this claim. They believe that mm. uh, fake Aegon, uh, young Griff, are essentially Illyrio's son with his wife, Sarah. And that mm. he was, uh, he, he's not Rhaegar's son, but he was raised to be Aegon. So he kind of is. I mean, I, so I, I listened to this part and... and you know, I, I agree with Elio's reasoning that that like that, that Varys believes that you know power resides where people where people think it resides, um, and but at the same time, I do know people that have like studied the the timeline and that Sarah Sarah and Illyrio cannot actually be um, the 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 mother of Aegon. Um, and I'm trying to, I'm trying to remember the, the reasoning. Um, let me see here. I gotta, gotta look this up. Cause this, this is, this is a, a big thing. I think a lot of people assume like, what is, um, a lot of people think that, okay, we need some sort of, sort of, um, reasoning for for Illyria to be so invested in Aegon um but it's uh but I'm trying to I'm trying to remember like why exactly like timeline wise it can't happen um let's see here uh da 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 I don't know if I'm going to be able to find it. I'm going to have to do more more research on it because because I've never. Um, uh, I'm not going to find it now, but I think there are problems with the timeline of Sarah actually being the mother of of um, of young Griff. Oh, well. But they 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 possibly they, they think that they think it's true. That's uh, that's an interesting thing because um, we we fake Aegon being Illyrio's son. That's been floated around in the community for quite some time. But what's what's the yeah. main the main theory of who he really is? Uh, that he's a Blackfire. 
so yeah, there, there's a few things. Um, um, and actually, Elio brought this up that that you know, it's you know maybe he's also a Blackfire, or also like the 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 spawn of of you know um, Aryan Bright Flame and things like these. These these are theories going around the the fandom for a while. And since Fire and Blood, some people think you know Sarah Targaryen as well. Like could could be related, um, could be a person, and in, in the and in, in her descendants could be part of this as well. But um, it's uh, let's see. Hold on. Ah, got it. Okay, this is um on that specific issue. I found it. Okay. Um. All right. From uh. This is a Reddit post from uh, Mark G171. Debunking something about the theory of young Griff. Many people believe that Aegon is not Rhaegar and Aelia's son, but rather uh, Illyrio and Sarah's son as part of the popular Fagon theory. While Aegon possibly isn't Rhaegar and Aelia's son, he certainly is not Sarah's son. Um, from a appendix, we learn that young Griff is 18 years old, which of course is a reasonable age for Aegon Targaryen, who is supposedly... Um, Aegon was born in 281, and thus the current year 300, he'd either be 19 or 18, turning 19. Thus the age checks out. What doesn't check out is Sarah in this, uh, if young Griff is 18. The World of Ice and Fire, we learn that Varys must have been brought over to Westeros in or around uh, 280-ish, given that he's brought over in the years following Stefan Baratheon's death in 278, but before the Harrenhal tourney of 281 as Varys warns Ares of Rhaegar's plot. So the gods have the notion, however, yeah, okay. So we got all that. Um, now, the reason why this is important is because Ares obviously can be can only import Varys after or around the time Varys uh, first makes a name for himself over in Pentos. So Ares has no reason to select Varys of all people unless Varys has already has, has a reputation for information gathering. That's true. And so Varys gets brought over in around 280. Why is this important? Well, um, uh, Illyrio tells us that he married his first wife during the same time period that Varys gets brought over to Westeros, a.k.a. Illyrio married his first wife in 280. If Aegon is born um, in 281, uh, then his mother is either impregnated in 280 or early 281, and therefore Illyrio wasn't with Sarah yet. He married Sarah. He was married to his first wife. Um, now, so then, how did how did um, how did Sarah die? Sarah died of the Great Death, and the Great Death we learn is grayscale, and the most famous uh, case of grayscale in the book is Shireen, who got it in 289. Um, let's see here. We see that Illyria is still mourning Sarah, which suggests that she died fairly recently. But if we assume that Sarah was the mother of Aegon, who was again born in 281, and she's mourning a woman who we'd be establishing is almost 20, dying 20 years ago instead of recently, it's far more likely that she's much more recent than that. That's that's all, that's all kind of true. Um... He should have been married to his first wife during Aegon's birth 19 years before. Uh, and the grayscale outbreak, which happened seven to eight years ago. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's, uh, 
That's all kind of true. Yeah. So in conclusion, Sarah, not Aegon's mom. <laughs> so Sarah is not Aegon's mom because it just doesn't line up with how old he is. Right. I mean, even if we assume that... that um, Maybe he's younger than 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 we know, and that. I mean, he might be like he might be a little younger. He might be like sixteen, but that still doesn't make him young enough to be, you know, uh, um, you know he he's somewhere between like nineteen and sixteen. He's somewhere in right. that range. So, but that means that like um, Illyrio's first wife needs to die, and then he needs to immediately go with Sarah and have her have that kid. Um, pretty quick and but and then have Varys already in the seven kingdoms like pretty you know kind of planning for the return of a child that isn't born yet i don't know it's just so lucky that that illyrio has Varys as a friend um in in the seven kingdoms already when this child has yeah, it's 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 all kind of weird. This could be easily retconned by George. Like he can go back and change a, a few details here and there and make it so. Yeah. So. <clears throat> yeah. Um, I don't know. I, I never really subscribed to the whole uh, fake Aegon thing. I I don't really know where I stand on that. Like I said, in regards to the pink letter, I'm very boring when it comes to theories. Uh, but I do like the idea that he could be Lyrio's son. I mean, my um, my idea, uh, my theory on it is that it doesn't matter that we're never going to find it. Well, first of all, we're never going to find out. Um, but I just don't think that it's important. Like, like he might, he, he, he's, he's whoever he is to different people. He can tell some people he's a black fire. He can tell some people he's Rhaegar's son and it doesn't really matter who he is, you know, cause he's, it's the story, you know? <sighs> well, it's a shame. Hopefully we do find out. Hopefully it is addressed, but, uh, We'll have to see. Um, is there anything else about the interview you'd like to get out of the way? Um, no, I guess that was that that was about it. I'm trying to think of anything else that really really stuck out to me. But uh, um, hmm. I've always found it weird um, to to comment on Elio and Linda for a minute. I've always found it weird that they were ahead of the whole ice and fire thing before anybody, literally anybody, and uh, they yeah. they never. Um, and I'm not trying to be an asshole here when I say this, but they never really found much um, success in making content off Ice and Fire uh, like you and, you know, uh, other people have. Yeah. Um, I always find that a little weird. No, they, 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 you know, they were just really early fans um, uh, that, uh, that uh, you know, were really into the story before nearly all of us were and, uh, you know, happened to have their their you know their their dream come true that the story that they were really really into like you know the that the, the creator like you know chose them to be kind of uh you know i don't know gatekeepers of information oh here's the other thing is Aegon can't really be much younger because because john Khan was brought in to take care of him when john when when um he was about five so john Khan would have noticed if if, if this baby was only three when he's supposed to be five you know okay but yeah that as well yeah so he he, he kind of has to be around 18 or 17 or 18 and Illyrio is married to his first wife in that period of time that oh, well um but yeah 
Yeah, no, I mean, it's, it's interesting. It's all interesting, but, um, um, but like I say, everything is kind of their opinions. Um, you know, it's, it's not necessarily canon. Um, you know, the, the stuff about like, oh, he has a file on Aegon the Fourth. I found more interesting because, oh gosh, like that's actually something tangible versus like, we think it's fire magic in, in Valeria. Well, you know, the, the it's your speculation is as good as any other fans, you know. I would like. I would argue their speculation is is slightly, you know, more interesting than some random YouTuber because once again, they're closer to George. They've seen things. I would assume that would make them speculate in that direction. Sure, you know, but early on, they were actually um, before Dance with Dragons came out. They were actually in a camp that a, a kind of Littlefinger pl- planned it all camp. Where they thought mm. kind of everything was done by Littlefinger, and then once these like once Quaith and Marwyn and Bloodraven were kind of revealed, they kind of stepped back from that. But you know, they, you know, they they're they're like the rest of us. They're wrong about stuff. They speculate on stuff. They've got their opinions about stuff. But um, you know, like I say, like thinking that Bran is is going to sit the throne by by skin changing somebody, yeah, by via proxy skin changing somebody else's body. Um, no, I don't think I don't think that's going to happen. I mean, you know, it's just uh, it's it's um, you know, but at the same time that you know, there, there's a lot of similarities. Like Elio's favorite um, area is Dorne and the Ironborn. Well, my favorite is also Dorne and the Ironborn. You know, like he, he he's read a lot of Thousand Worlds stuff, and he you know he he understands what George's George's writing and what he's capable of and things like that. He understands that the that the story is from a, a lot of um. Uh, uh, on the reliable points of view and things like that. So, um, you know, I, I, I don't think they're, they're, uh, married to any idea. They just kind of have these, these different theories on things. And so, um, so, you know, some of them are going to be right. Some of them are going to be wrong, but yeah, brand setting the throne via proxy is, is, yeah, that's not going to happen. <laughs> I'm so against it. I love it. Oh, it's just, it's just, um, yeah, no, it's just, it would it would just be it would be a horrible, disgusting way to end the story. But okay, <laughs> you know. Uh, do you mind if we wrap it up here? Sure thing, guys. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, as always, we'll see you next time. Have a good one.